Hello, I am Joe Rycroft. And I'm Adam Hewitt. Welcome to the Exercise Right podcast, the show where we delve deep into the world of exercise, rehabilitation, and wellness. A fun, non drab approach where Adam and I will be talking about all things exercise, physiology, health, and rehabilitation, whilst debunking myths, making some complex science a lot more simple, and giving you some tips and tricks to improve your health and well being. Each week, we will host guest speakers who are experts in their field and hear from you, the listener, to answer any of your questions. Evening. Good evening, good evening. Well into it now, aren't we? How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. Actually, I thought of you the other day. Oh, yeah. um, we went to, you know, when you talk about cafe and ride, when you know you're going to go to a coffee, was it, what do you call it? Cafe ride. Cafe ride. Well, there you go. Yeah. I got it right in the first. So there is a very, very popular cafe called, I should, can I call it? I don't know don't care so they called velo life near where i live um and it is basically i guess it was a a, used to be a pub and they've effectively converted it to a cafe and a bike repair shop um it's a genius idea and it's absolutely rammed (laughs) so we go there because it's a really nice walk where we live but coincidentally we went with a couple of friends and we also went with max and our you know a couple of friends and also kids as well and then suddenly we had a we went and we saw another parent family you know, that had um, another eighteen month old, <laughs> so it certain Double sort of, yeah almost turned into a bit of a crash. <laughs> and I thought I have to ask Joe this question. I need the honest answer. If you're a cyclist, is that nice to have all of that, like running around kids, or is it actually do you know what that's just a bit much? <laughs> I thought honest answers actually- allowed. I, I mean, I love kids, so you're asking probably the wrong person for a yeah. for a, a balanced answer. But no, I mean, you know, get them get them exposed to the sport early. You know, f- feed that inspiration into the cafe riding life. So yeah, get started at two, well, eighteen months one. Oh, I'd be Max like, was, Max was fascinated with all the many people in Lycra walking around. The only time it's not acceptable to take a very young child to a cafe, which is no, it's, it's always acceptable, is um, <laughs> is when you're like me and you think, oh, I'll go and work in a cafe for a few hours and do a few calls. Not a good yeah, idea. That <laughs> Someone's like, Are you not a child, Joe? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. But I did think of you because it was after you mentioned about uh, a, a ride and cafe or whatever you call it. And I thought, actually, that's an interesting one. Um, but, but otherwise, the, we're back good. To, back to, yeah, back you're good. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> back to business. I don't really know where I was going yeah. with that story, but it was just one of those thought processes I had. Um, today. Today. Very much on, on, on point. We have not only just a expert in the field, we have a doctor. Mm. Dr. Matt Slavin coming to join us. Um, and Dr. Matt Slavin is a clinical psychologist. So I'm really interested to go into the, the, the realms of psychology because we've we've not done it before on the podcast yet. Um, and we've sort of touched upon it. We've touched upon mental health slightly, but um, Matt champions men, men's mental health. Um, and I think that it's just going to be a super, super engaging, really, really insightful pod. So um, look forward to it. I'm excited. Let's get stuck in. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exercise Right UK podcast. Um, we are very, very lucky today to have a doctor in our midst, uh, Dr. Matt Slavin, who is a clinical uh, psychologist. I am really, really intrigued to bring this side of, of the trade, if you like, or industry or profession to light and, and, and talk further to kind of connect those dots and um thank you so much matt for for joining us today um been a long time time going for those who won't know i pestered matt for a good few months to try and join us here so i'm delighted to have you on um but thank you so much for coming on well thank you very much for the invite real pleasure real pleasure to be here thank you so tell us a bit about what you do um your specialisms and uh i guess how did you get into your profession now and your journey to get there Okay. Um, what do I do? Okay, so that's a good one. I'm a clinical psychologist, which may not be obvious to everyone what that is. Um, in summary, what I do is I help people understand themselves better. And I help them work through the obstacles that hold them back to whatever goal it is they want to achieve. It's probably the best way I can describe my job <laughs> in, a, in a sentence or two. And what, what made you get into that field? What was the interest? Oh, well, it depends how deep you want to go on this one today, Adam. But, um, there, oh, there, we, got, we got all the time in the world, Matt. <laughs> there's, um, like, I think I always wanted to help. Like, that was always a really important thing to me, to kind of something about serving to others, about helping people in times of need. The clinical psychology bit, so psychologists, you can have sports psychologists, you can have forensic psychologists who work with people in the uh in prisons and in the criminal system you've got educational psychologists experimental cl clinical psychologists um is all about helping people with mental health difficulties so that was my training so um i i like no, like many others experienced mental health challenges in my teenage years and in my in um in my young adulthood and an interest personal experience all led me down the route of trying to work out how to help people. And um, I don't know, four degrees later, and many times uh, <laughs> much studying and, and work just with people. Just a casual four. <laughs> just a casual um, <laughs> led, to, led to being a clinical psychologist, which the training really is in helping people with severe and enduring mental health and trauma and distress. But as we'll talk about today, people are just people. So the, the, the things people go through when people are in their darkest days, um, most people have come into contact with. So everyday people, high-performing athletes in particular, have been through their fair share of hardships. So that's my other side of my work, you said. So part of it is the distress stuff and men's mental health. And the other side is working with high-performing individuals to reach their best, because that's also psychology. How do you, how do you get the most out of life and out, out of yourself? through understanding yourself and, you know, knowing a few tips and tricks for mindset along the way. So, yeah. I'm going to dive straight in with a question around the high performance uh, kind of nature of things. Often when we've spoken to kind of high performance athletes specifically, we've found that there's probably a trend between people that have kind of had really serious challenges in their life, which will have affected their mental health at one point and now they are performing at obviously an incredibly high level. Do you think there's um, a kind of a clear 
um, explanation for the people that have experienced trauma or um, challenges like that and them kind of finding the, that ability to push themselves to another level compared to what would be an average human being. <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of explained it. <laughs> you know, I th I, there's definitely a trend. I think, um, so definitely high-performing athletes, adventure, sport professionals as well, people who kind of, that world, there is something about the drive that, you know, you cannot be an Olympian without ridiculous drive, you know, are really high performing athlete. You, you, you have to not quit when 99.9% .9 of the world would quit. It's not just about talent, is it? Um, so like, yes, so most people have been through, well, lots of athletes, not all, but many of them have been through lots of hardship. One, <clears throat> so one thing about going through hardship, well, you know, it can either build you up or break you down. But one thing is if you can, if you've also got some guiding light in your life that helps you with that experience, make sense of it at some point. The experience of it, of trauma or hardship in itself will switch on your adrenal system. Now, that's what's going to happen when you go through something really scary. You're going to get fired up for a fight, flight, freeze or flop. And those things can overtake you. And so trauma can really affect us in a negative way. But also they can push us like nothing else as well. So if you usually have a person in your life who can help you, guide you through that, if you can make sense of it, if you can focus and channel the hyper arousal that comes out of trauma, so the more energy, more vigilance, more, more alertness, but also more ability to push yourself, mm. then yes, my goodness, the I'm sure that drive might come from the physiology of pushing of what your body's been through or the narrative of um, I've got to make something out of this life or I was close to death and now I need to squeeze every ounce of life I've been through or I was so, I was told repeatedly, or oh, here's a Edmund Hillary thing. You know, Edmund Hillary, the, the, the harp oh, yeah. of him and Tenzing that climbed Mount Everest for the first time. So he was told as in school by his PE teacher repeatedly that he was... Uh, his back was bowed and his and his shoulders were rounded and that there was everything possibly wrong with him that could be possibly wrong with him and he'd never achieve anything and he said when he was interviewed in his 70s he said i i still um those words i still remember those words and i still feel them so his body still remembered those words that's part of the drive of i'm going to prove everybody wrong no 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 i'm going to achieve what no man has ever achieved before that stayed with him his whole life. That didn't even stop when he finished Everest. And how do you, so I look at it as like a, you can get overstimulated and you can almost have that as a overwhelming pressure sometimes for people who, you know, if they've been told they can't do things, it can go one of two ways, can't it? For example, what key methods would you look to explain to people that have worked for you? I know it's different for everybody. I totally get that. But, how can you challenge and channel those feelings, those emotions of, of to try and get a positive response? So one of the things, one of the hallmarks of, we, we're talking about trauma, I think we're doing a dive into trauma at the moment. One of the hallmarks of that in particular is that um, what we know now from neuroscience is that our body remembers the past in the present. So you go through a really hard experience, something really overwhelming, 
yeah overstimulating that's the point of trauma trauma is not the um the arrow that hits you it's the wound that's left behind so it's not the arrow that hits you it's the wound that's left behind it's the impact of whatever you've been through and that gets under your skin what happens actually in your brain at a time of extreme hardship is that your brain isn't able to do the usual memory storing process that would ordinarily happen so if i asked you adam what you had for lunch yesterday you may or may not remember it. if i really pushed you you probably would remember because it hopefully was a, a good enough experience um asked you what your kid's birthday is hopefully you remember the day that your kids were born um <laughs> I hope some days I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go through something really hard, your amygdala is your threat center of the brain switches on. It says, look, danger's here. All you need to do right now is get through this overwhelming experience. And so it says our brain is designed this way that says, look, uh, I don't trust you to think yourself through this problem. I'm just going to take over and go to automatic pilot mode. So you go into survival systems, right? You go into fight and flight freeze or flop and your your hippocampus is the memory center of your, of your brain isn't able to do its job which is put a time stamp and a location stamp on the experience so you usually go oh that thing that happened happened two weeks ago on a tuesday in my parents house if you go through a really traumatic event if that happened then your brain wouldn't do that why is that important well then when you go to think about it or you're reminded of it, you, your body responds to the memory as if it's here and now because your brain just pulls it out and it goes, oh, it's happening again. That's a flashback or other subtle ways. Oh, it's happening again. So you kind of experience the same thing over and over again. And I, and I talk about it almost with my clients as we've all got these invisible strings that pull us back, right? So how do you work through this stuff with people? That's interesting. Part of it is in noticing and recognizing that the past does come alive in the present for us. And we, you're right, each of us has our own versions of this. You know, is it the version for you that um, you were told you weren't good enough? And so then you, every time something happens similar in the present, mm, it really stings or you felt out of control as a young person at some point, critical moment in life. And then when you go to do a, let's talk about sport, you go to do a race there, you do an event and something happens out of your control. And then you can feel your whole body and your mind spinning and you just can't get yourself back on track again. Well, actually, maybe here and now in the present day, it wasn't that big a thing. You lost your race number. They'll give you a new one. It's okay. But the past came alive so much from that thing in the past that it overtook your thinking process. It took over your brain, went back into the automatic fight or flight pattern. So I work with people to help notice and understand what are these invisible strengths. Oh, and then there's a whole long chat about how do we how do we reprocess the memory and get past that? Yeah, that's an interesting topic too. <laughs> so do you, do you think that having that experience, those arrows, um, and the I can't think of a better word other than robustness to the past. Do you think that has a, well, maybe in, rather than thinking, have an emotional response to it, but is there empirical research that would say there's a correlation to high performance as a result of these arrows? I think, you know, I don't, let's let's do a deep dive later. Let's, let's kind of point something out to people. I don't have that at the tip of my fingertips of the studies, but yes, 
there is empirical evidence to say that when you go through hardship, it switches on certain um, switches on certain things in our bodies that make us more prone to a survival and reproduction. Mm -hmm. Two key things that you need to do to get by. So you get really switched on to yeah, <laughs> surviving experience. So you get people who get much more vigilant to their surroundings. You get much more um, adrenal spikes. Um, and yes, I know there's much more evidence. I just don't have it right to hand, but I'm sure we can find it after this, Adam. I'm sure we'll find no, it. No, I mean, I, I, I sort of link it because I, I was going away from the trauma topic and going away from maybe a high performance, but I've, I've always been really fascinated with the body's ability to deal with stress and the... I guess society's, I can't think of the right word, but society's push on that all stress is negative. And actually um, there is a good amount of science out there that actually says your one's body needs amount of stress. Someone, you know, people, you, and you can tell me if I'm completely wrong here, but people need an element of stress in their life. Um, and actually that leads to longer living um and things like that so you know talk us about that how does i know we're moving away into more maybe stress side of it and stress management but that side of it's really important i think for me is that i guess in a broad sense i feel like society nowadays just goes stress all stress is bad all stress leads to anxiety all stress leads to things like this but is there a balance there and is there something that needs to be addressed yeah, gosh, that's a really good points. Because um, I think, I think you're right. A lot of a lot of life has started to become medicalized. You know, everything's anxiety, and you're right. A different word is stress, and 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 stress. I think you, you're absolutely right. Stress is fundamental. So stress is just a physiological response of it's a physiological drive. So hunger is a stress response. So if we didn't have stress, we would die. Because so, like hunger is, uh, oh my god, I'm I need something to fuel myself. Um, yeah, I get very stressed when I'm hungry, <laughs> and we exactly. my wife will testify. <laughs> exactly, you know, and so you know, so or stress motivates us mm. in ways that maybe we wouldn't be motivated. You know, that's it. Why do you go to work? You know, probably to pay your mortgage and 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 survive. Well, if you didn't have stress, the part of you didn't go, well, if I don't go to work, they probably won't like it. And if I repeatedly go to work, they probably will fire me and then I won't have money. You know, that comes from stress. So, yeah, let's let's do that. First of all, Adam. let's say, first of all, stress is good. Yeah, stress is good. We need stress. Um, we don't only want to experience stress because if we only have stress, then then life's not very fun. <laughs> right. So. Um, the best one of the best models I've seen um, by um, by um, a psychologist who talks about compassion focused therapy or the importance of compassion. And he he does a, he's done a lot of work about trying to articulate neuroscience in really accessible ways is he said, look, our brain needs to be in three modes in any in in life to have a really rich life. And OK, first is the drive mode. So that's a stress mode. Drive drive means I want to get something in here, right? I want to right, I want to go get dinner. That's one thing. Or drive I want to do well in my job or I want to win this race or I want to push myself physically or I want to become a better person. Drive. Yeah, motivator. 
he said, well, you can't just have drive. You also need to have a threat system. So your brain at certain times needs to go into threat response, which is okay, there, there are some scary things in this world and there are some not so nice things in this world. So at times we need to go into that protective mode to keep ourselves and the people we love safe. Um, and that can be like very physically going into protective mode or also protecting our honor or you know anything in the kind of relational world that we go into threats about. We've got to be protective. We've got to articulate ourselves when people say, when people say inaccurate things about physical and mental health, something you might say, it's my duty to make sure that people get good knowledge. And then you also need a soothe system. So that is the calming system. The, that is where your body experiences nice feelings, comfortable feelings, relaxation, connection with others. So drive, we want threat, but also soothe. The balance of all three, that's the, that's the nice bit. If you get too much of those first two, you're going to be almost too threatened, too driven to allow the soothe to come into play. Would that be correct? Yeah, exactly. I so certainly feel that if I'm hungry. <laughs> I don't want any hugs if well, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's like, a, I see it like it's like a Venn diagram. You know, they all overlap, mm. but then at certain mm. points you're going to be like, right, well, if if you've got someone trying to break into your home, don't relax on the couch. Like get up off the couch and fight back, Yeah. You're going to go try and go into, we talked about weekend warriors, right? If you're a weekend warrior and you're trying to, you know, achieve your peak grade in climbing, um, or you're going to go into a, I don't know, jujitsu competition, you're going on a race day for running, whatever your thing is, you actually, you want to be in your, the right mindset where you go, I'm actually, I'm going to focus completely on the here and now and my competition. And all that is, all that exists is the here and now. I'm going to be fully into that mode and the drive mode as well. Your body's going to be full of adrenaline you know that's the kind of helpful stress response i'm going to get through this hard experience adrenaline or cortisol another stress response and then there's other times where you're right if you're a very high performing high achieving person it's really important to be the best in life and everything and you don't do the soothe relaxing bit you will burn out um it's physically impossible to not to because those two systems are dependent on they all go through our our HPA axis. So it's our, let's get this right, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. It's always hard to say. <laughs> Spell it. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, like our body, our body takes a toll when we when we're into adrenaline and into cortisol stress markers all the time. So the prolonged exposure to stress wears down your heart, wears down your body, wears down your brain. So you also need to have those times to connect with you people you love connect with yourself and as a you know i would i i preach to everybody make sure you carve out time and you make time for yourself because no one gives it to you in this life you know you need to do that for yourself and sometimes we need our friends and family to point it out to us or maybe this is a helpful reflection to say how much time are you really giving yourself to restore and recover Let's use those as active words, not just rest, because it's an active thing you're doing is recovering and restoring when you do this stuff. It's equally as important as the go-gettedness of, of ambition. Yeah.
Wise, wise words. And when you're working with um, individuals or clients, and I think a lot of people listening might think it's all kind of good and well talking about this balance um, and trying to strike that balance um, between, I guess, life's stresses and that kind of restoring angle. But how do you go about um, helping people restore that balance? Okay, so... The one part of my work is that with everyone I work with, so whether it's individuals or, or like a team, is we start by trying to understand what's going on. So I think that's partly the first bit is to have a, a really good picture of what is working well, because there's going to be things that are working really well. And then where are the problem areas? So it might be really working out. Like I want to sit, I want to sit down next to somebody. I work alongside people. We're going to sit down and we're going to be like, what is, what is going on? Let's flesh this out. Right. I've got no time in my diary. I got no time for that. Well, let's work out, you know, and think how critical is it for you? Because are there, is part of the problem that you're experiencing is the sleeplessness at night. Is that a result of building in no time in your day for resting? If so, okay, well, you're, you're losing critical rest time and losing your mental faculties in the day because you're not sleeping well. So what can you do for an hour in a day, okay, we lose an hour, right? Let's map it out, what's gonna happen? What are you gonna gain as a result? And it's always hard to do change. You know, you know, people, um, people are really motivated by the end result, but it's very hard to do the change bit. So I would treat a lot of things with people like, like experiments, let's be scientists. Okay, let's go, look, look, let's try this out for the next week, next two weeks, next month. Let's try this change out in your diary. Let's try these, grounding strategies, mental strategies, mental fitness approaches. You tell me, does it make a difference? If it makes a difference, how does it make a difference? In the ways we expect or in unexpected ways? All interesting to know. Let's find out. And you mentioned, you talk about sleep there. And we also mentioned about cortisol being a stress hormone and stress relief. Do you, I mean, talk us through this physiology of that and you know, how do we, is there a link between, well, it's a slightly leading question, but what is the link, I guess, between waking up at 3am and cortisol levels? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're a dad as well, right, Adam? I heard, I heard on, there's, there's a whole dad podcast. Oh, yeah. Messing with you. <laughs> I mean, 3am, three, 3 I'll take it these days. It's great. That's a sleep in. <laughs> oh, my, it massively, so, so, okay, so basics of, it is really helpful to know this. So, so the basics of sleep and stress, it's all interlinked. So, so we have a thing called a diurnal sleep-wake cycle. So, so ideally you want two peaks of energy in the day. The biggest peak you get in the morning, eventually by the end of the day, you feel sleepy and then you have a good night's sleep and then you get your big uh, flush of go-gettedness hormones in the morning. The, the tricky thing about when your sleep-wake cycle is out of sync so, okay, so if you are a new parent, definitely going to be out of sync. If you, if you find it hard to switch off at night and you watch the extra program and a few extra programs and actually you end up by one o'clock in the morning, you're still watching TV and your sleep suffers. You think no big deal. Well, it starts to really impact you over time. The cumulative toll that it takes is that it will start shifting your hormone levels that get released the next day. So, as we said, ideally you want to wake up in the morning and then you get a peak of your biggest hit of kind of of those stress, those helpful stress hormones, which 
we want because we want to feel like, okay, let's go get this world, right? Let's go go to my job. Let's feel energized. So those hormones make us feel energized. The hormone release of having the good sleep-wake cycle also means if the stress response hormone comes, stress hormone comes at the right time, it also means that you're better able to deal with stress that comes your way. So if you have the right hormones at the right time, say my body, let's just go back to human, what it feels like as a human. If you feel fully awake, fully energized, kind of resilient enough on the day, then when a problem comes to you, you'll be able to face it. You'll be able to work your way through it. It won't feel too overwhelming. If you have not slept well, then that hormone doesn't get released at the right time. So you're not able to think through it particularly well but also pretty more to the point when you face it you're going to feel more affected by the stress and that in itself is going to then reduce your problem solving ability so it's like a it's like um a double-edged sword you both feel sleepy and then also you feel overstressed by the problem and then you can't deal with it so yeah so sleep let's start with sleep there's loads there's loads to do to just try and get you a good rest in place and if you're a new parent, do your best. <laughs> do, do your very best. Good advice there. And I think it's, sleep is something that um, I think often is, certainly in Adam and I's work, it's whilst we're here to kind of prescribe exercise and try and get people moving more without that sleep um, from a physical health point of view, obviously it plays a big, big factor. But um, as we're discussing here, it's obviously a huge part of um, mental health as, as well. Um, so if, if we kind of move next on towards more of them, um, like men's mental health specifically of, of over the last, I guess, couple of years, it's been getting much, much more, um, uh, would you say like kind of coverage, uh, attention and, and rightly so, but you've done a lot of work in men's mental health yourself. And what do you think kind of at the moment is working very well for getting those messages out for men to kind of talk more, um, uh, and kind of sh share more of that with kind of family, friends, professionals, and what more do you think kind of needs to be done? Yeah, I think I think the world is definitely moving in the right direction. I, I think it's it's a lot more commonplace to be able to have discussions about mental health, um, and just about having a hard time. And I think what's great is that you've had exact really great public figures, lots of really, I think seeing kind of typically let's lean into the term kind of masculine kind of figures, you know, like high performing athletes and, and people with status talk about their own difficulties and hardship and just say, look, it's just part of life. We all face it. It's so helpful because you can connect. It's great to see that you can connect with people you think are uh, invulnerable. Like how could they possibly go through this stuff? And of course they do because they're just humans. Um, but there's still there's still major roads to be gained. You know, it's, men are still still really hard for men to reach out for support or to admit to themselves they need help, or even just to start a conversation with a friend. Um, in my world, um, uh, I think I see maybe I see more men because I'm a guy. So because they can kind of be like, okay, we're right. Um, it's not too wishy washy. I would always say if you're going to reach out to a helping professional for, for anything, but particularly somebody who you might start talking about some of the more hidden aspects of life, 
you just want to feel like you can connect with them. That's the most important thing is that you feel comfortable with them. And so I would always say to people, do a bit of shopping around, you know, like you might find if you're going to make a big time purchase, then you kind of want to know that you're dealing with the right thing. If you're going to find the right person for what you want, then you, you, I, I think the first thing people go for is someone they feel heard and seen and safe with. Um, and for guys that might be just another guy that might feel easier. Maybe, maybe you know what to expect a bit more. Um, but there is something about the way I talk about mental health and the way that I support mental health that might be more appealing for men as well. So part of the research that's come out the last couple of years about supporting men's mental health, it's that you've got to speak the language of men because men and women, again, I'm drawing massive generalizations. We do think slightly differently, or at least men like to solve problems. And, and there might be another thought about more relational bits and more emotion based connection in kind of in the way that we communicate in a communication for men, it might be more of a problem solving. So I might lean more into a language of problem solving when I speak to men, because it's more digestible, it's more familiar. That does not mean we're not going to stretch and find the tricky areas and still work through the things you want that are important to you. But it might be more palatable to think through, okay, just like high-performing athletes, you're going to work with them about exactly what their body needs. We're going to think about mental fitness, you know, and, and think about what does their mind need to be able to achieve their goals in life as well. That's really interesting in that, you mentioned about the the difference of i guess the, the male brain and the female brain of like the men who want to see a solution yes. more and maybe talk about fixing stuff and i certainly can relate to that because i you know my wife won't mind me saying this but i have this i guess that natural want to go if there's a problem let's talk about a solution and sometimes my wife is just like i don't want you to have that solution i just want to be able to talk to you about it so um, I think, well, I can't remember what we did, but it was something like, is this a listen conversation or is this a fixed conversation? And um, that worked really well for me because naturally I'm that person and, and Joe's nodding away because she knows I am. But I had to really try and change my, I guess, my natural want and natural response there. Um, so it's very interesting you say there's there's something in there, if you like. Um, I've never really thought of it as a male and a female thing before. Well, there's kind of different approaches. It's, you know, if we, again, think broad, but broad terms, our brains have a more analytical side to them and a more emotion-based side to them. Okay, I'm talking really, the brain's far more clever than this, but that's a broad brush kind of way to think about it. And um, and perhaps we can make those kind of gender or kind of um, similarities or connections. But all of our brains work this way. And uh, here's a great thing to know for all partners and, and husbands and wives across here. Whatever problem there is to be solved, first connect before correct. It's, it's like the massive game changer, just like you learn with your wife. But as a listener, know this, you know. So I, my story is, I, I know this viscerally. I know the neuroscience, and this is why I work with clients. But my, felt my, my home experience is, is this story of where um, I remember, so I, this was a couple of years ago, but I remember coming back from a long day of work and um, I got on one of the main A roads around here, straight after work at 5 p.m. 
And that road quite, quite commonly has terrible traffic. And I was stuck for hours in this traffic jam. Needed the toilet, was hungry, difficult day at work, all those things, come home late. And I walk through the front door and the first thing my, and I have a conversation with my wife and I say, whatever. And she goes, um, you know not to get on that road after five o'clock. You know, it's always terrible. Why do you do that? Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Helpful, unhelpful. I'll put it out to you two. What do you think? I I, I feel torn because I don't know your wife. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a like red rag to a bull. If like <laughs> I would I would yeah I'd probably suggest not helpful in that particular moment. Yeah, I think now, your, your wife's not in hearing distance, is she? <laughs> no, she's not. We, we've talked about this many times after. I, I you, I'm I'm way more uh, to blame for being on the opposite end of this than she is. But I'm just putting out one example. Um, that makes puts me in a nice light. No, um, one example. Um, but I think it's I really relatable. Just trying to be helpful, but as you yeah. say, Adam, wrong timing. So you know, so so this is what we know. And again, when it's a therapeutic work or I'm working with a client, we will get to problem solving and strategies. But the first thing you need to do is really connect with what they're telling you. So actually, what I needed to hear that moment in time was, um, "Oh, darling," I don't know, something you know, something about like <laughs> what a real. What a tough time you must have had. It must have, oh my gosh, you must feel absolutely exhausted. You must need the toilet. So, oh my God, it must have been awful for you. And I would have gone, yeah, it was. <laughs> oh my God. And then probably a minute and a half later, I would have gone, last time I bloody do that again, right? Last time yeah. I do. Because I would have worked the problem out very quickly for myself. And because what happens in our brain is that first, in order to switch on our problem-solving brain, which is our higher area of our brain, our cortex, touching my head, because it's the very top part of my head, you need to quiet the emotional part of the brain, which is the middle part of the brain, the middle and the lower parts of the brain. So actually meeting someone's emotions and, and really being with them, really being empathic, not faking it, mm. soothes your emotional center of your brain enough where the thinking brain switches back online again. And most people, most people are clever people. They work their problems out for themselves or you help them out a little bit while you do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm keen to bring it back into exercise. And I went, so in the field we work in, we do work with people who have a need, you know, psychological support. They need to be talking things through. And, and the actual link to exercise, and you might, Again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it felt like it was really, there's a big void in that aside of going, go outside and have a walk, aside of going, do some sort of movement. It was the actual elements of what that exercise might look like. And I'm not asking you to, to sort of create that exercise program as it were, that's our job, but it seemed awfully vague to me. And why do you think there is that, vagueness or is it just as simple as just trying to get people to move more because i i think that and and you'll know this more than anybody that when people are struggling mentally and we talk about empathy one of the most almost i don't I can't think of the right word again but stupid things i guess to say is i'll go for a walk it's good for your mental health it's it doesn't work and how can we connect those dots as professionals who are 
meeting these people who are highly stressed, who have maybe being diagnosed for particular reason, you know, and have a reason to be with us, but also without just going, oh, just go for a walk. Lots in that question, sorry, but I think it's quite a key one. I think it's the question of the day, uh, really. Um, I think it's a really big point. And it doesn't have to be an answer as such. It's just, <laughs> a, 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 it's just a, I, I think first and foremost, there needs to be more, more, more science, more pressure into that science to go, going for a walk isn't enough. And what exactly is going to be right for you? Uh, you know, Joe and I are absolute geeks and we'll talk until the cows come home and until they bugger off because they're bored as well about heart rate zones and stuff like that. But I am convinced that if you get a particular heart rate zone and you stick to it, it will also be very good for your mental health. But why is there not that connection yet? And and where, how can we move towards it? Should we do a bit of history? This is my perspective. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, René Descartes, um, a philosopher way back in France, way back in the day, um, you know, he did brilliant things for the Enlightenment. And But one of the things he talked about was um, mind and body as separate. And it's almost, you know, I've gone back to 17-something. Somebody will correct me, I'm sure. Um but it came from that idea of Cartesian dualism came out of this thing. The idea that our mind and our body are separate. And it was the time of the enlightenment. So then science, medicine, all the academies of knowledge were, were working together. And, and this was a theme that's, that's not left us really. Well, well particularly in the kind of European worldview. Let's, let's think we're just there at the moment. Then that's carried through into medicine was carried through into everyday life and thinking. So medicine, even as a profession, you know, it got set up as distinct from anything to do with the mind. And that's a, that's a separate thing. And I still think it's the major issue of the day. I think it's the great question of the day because I still think mind and body are treated as separate. And it's not in the face of knowledge now because we know now how they are so connected the body affects the mind the mind affects the body even to start talking about like this doesn't make sense so i usually talk about it as brain and body to try and get a bit more of a sense there's a really physical thing happening here and our nervous system most of my conversations with clients about their nervous system because actually this is the thing that's all connected it's your finger is as much connected to your brain um through our nervous system how we experience something being touched or touching something with our finger is not a bodily process. It's also a brain sense perception process. So our brain and our bodies are absolutely intertwined. But this is how mental health services got set up um, in the UK as well. This is how psychiatry got set up. This is how it. Um, we're still there. We're still in kind of early days medicine and early days thinking that things are separate. But thank goodness, things are beginning to change. And really beginning, we're beginning to have really good studies and empirical evidence, which start to redress the imbalance of scales that start to say, you're right. Doing a program of exercise is as effective, if not more effective than any drug for antidepression. And why should that be surprising? Mm, our exactly. bodies, a, long, a big part of my work or big area of research that I talk about is evolutionary psychology. 
And so that's kind of remembering that we like to think we are, here's a quote from a, an incredible essayist and poet. She says, um, Diane Ackerman, she says, we like to think we're finely evolved creatures in suit and tie who live many, many millennia mental detours away from the cave, but that's not something our bodies are convinced of. So all our anatomy, our neurophysiology, the things that are important to mental and physical health, they were created 200, 250,000 years ago, and then way, way, way back before then anyway, while we were first landed as homo sapiens on this planet, in nature, designed to move, to hunt, to move. So our modern day world of being sedentary creatures is a very, very short, recent experience. And as much as we've gained, in that process, we've also lost a lot because it's not how our bodies have been designed to live and to function. So, um, dis you know, mental health and mental distress are definitely alleviated just by, you're right, by moving. But I think the empathy bit's important there, isn't it? Because we don't want to just say to people, um, move get up and move, do the thing you're not doing. And they and they and I've worked with many very severely depressed and very, very unwell people and people who are at risk of taking their lives. And they would say to you, if I could do this, I would do this. I can't right now. So they need help and guidance and support and coaching to know how, what's their, what's their first, what's pushing their limit one bit more? You know, what's their one more? So in order to affect change, you have to go outside your comfort zone. You have to. It's hard. This is why it's hard work to do the change. Because you have to do something that is uncomfortable, unpleasant, in the pursuit of exactly what you want. Um, and social anthropologists and social psychologists would say that um, in order to kind of get there, to be in the zone of proximal development, to be in that area of pushing myself, you need someone to help you get there. So this is, I guess, this is your your jobs um, and my jobs in a different way. That actually you need a guide to help you and you need somebody to direct you because you don't know what you don't know and you can't do what you can't do. But you can do a little bit more than you can do if someone's going to be there to help you through it. So very, very well put. So to, not to challenge that, but to, I think, if we think about uh, the extent of kind of um, anxiety, depression, disorders kind of in society at the moment, ranging from like very young, you know, young children right through to through to adults. And there's a lot of, I think one of the buzzwords that I keep hearing at the moment is kind of a mental health toolkit and developing your kind of mental health toolkit. So for those that are listening that um, perhaps haven't worked with um uh, anyone like yourself or or a professional around the mental health or perhaps don't know um how to kind of start that process have you got any top tips um to help people build their mental health toolkit whether that be um with or without um professional support initially sure okay we could do a couple of top tips um yeah and i think i think there is more anxiety more depression more more mental health difficulties than ever before i think we really there's a, a lot of people are struggling. Mm. And I think actually, I think school misses out at this point at the moment in time, maybe we'll catch up later on. 
people aren't taught all the right skills. And I think it is a skill deficit. Again, if I talk to men, this is how I talk about it. We need to, we kind of need to learn these skills, right? You need to learn skills for life. And one of these major skills you need to learn is how to deal with anxiety. How do you deal with feeling low? How do you deal with picking yourself up after you feel like you've been embarrassed or you feel like a failure? So, okay, so let's, okay, I'll just say them because they are important. Let's start with sleep, exercise, yeah. nutrition. We'll start here. You get those things right, you're going to get a long way forward. Um, so, you know, uh, but I would say with those things, Okay, top tips. I'm going to race through a whole lot of top tips, and then you stop me for questions anywhere. Sleep, uh, stop caffeine by midday, very early on. Try and get off your screens two hours before bedtime. Make your bedroom uh, for two things only, sleep and sex, and everything else should be left out of it. Don't work in your bedroom. Make it a place where you can kind of remind reminded this is a place to rest. Do movement and exercise. Um, find the joy. Find something you enjoy. Don't. It doesn't have to... There's a very... There is a kind of a, a concept of workout. I'm going to work hard. Well, actually, you could have fun too. Why not? So I'd say go chase the fun. Nutrition, eat to fuel your body, not only to enjoy what you're eating. So just maybe, you know, whatever it is, there's tweaks and things you can learn, but I'm sure you guys have other people in your podcast can say much more about this. Um, okay, so other stuff that's really important. Um, okay, what can you do? Let's start with journaling anyone can do a bit of journaling and i'd say if you want to journal maybe do you could try this as an experiment every day write down three things you're grateful for let's just try that and see what happens um as humans we have this thing called a negativity bias we're much more prone to see the worst the bad things than the good things that comes again from evolutionary psychology where it was much more important to see the bad things the scary things the dangerous things the storm the snake things that are going to kill you than to notice the positive things so our brain has been developed and wired to see the bad rather than good so let's cultivate a positive mental experience through practicing gratitude it's a practice it will take work so three things you're grateful for every day um you've got to have some tools in your toolkit for calming down from stress and anxiety that aren't only exercise. So exercise has got to be in there, but if it's only exercise, what do you do when it's a rest day? What do you do when you're unwell? What do you do when there's no, when you cannot get out? What do you do when spin class is canceled? What do you do when the gym's closed? So you've got to have other things up your sleep. You can go and have a look at things like, breath work is really important. I do a lot of work with people teaching them how to do Breathing to calm down. You can also do breathing to get yourself energized. So go and have a look at things like diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing. There's some really interesting stuff you might want to have a look at. I'm going to say one more and then you can ask more questions, but there's a whole list of things. Another top tip I'd say is to have in a heat of a moment when you're feeling overwhelmed and there's a high pressure moment, use your senses to regulate, to calm yourself. So have a, have a toolkit of stuff that are things that take you out of the past, your brain out of the past and your brain out of the future to focus on the here and now. And these grounding strategies, some of the most effective are strong sensory experiences. So have ice cold water to sip, really, really cold water. Have a very, very strong mints in your bag. The strongest you can find, get air waves extra strength or treble mints or something. You have a, you know, that moment you go, whoa, just for a moment, you take a break in your spinning head or your worries about things. 
or you wash your face or you have a cold shower or you smell something you really enjoy because it reminds you of home and your loved ones or you touch your necklace or your wedding ring or your bracelet or your stone that's in your pocket that grounds you and reminds you that things are okay. Or just have some things up your sleeve like positive statements, affirmations, grounding words, things that you tell yourself that get you through really hard times like this too shall pass or it's all gonna end okay or you're stronger than you think, or no matter what, it no matter what, it's going to be over soon. You know, even you get through a really difficult meeting, difficult work event, someone screaming at you, whatever you need to tell yourself, that helps you. It's your words. So I'll start with those. There's a whole there's a whole toolkit, and I'm happy to do toolkits with people once we understand what the problem is we're trying to work out. But yeah, what do you think? You heard some of those before? Some of those are new. Maybe I think just, it's absolutely. I think it's brilliant. I think yeah. that actually, do you know what? People are gonna even if they take a snippet, it's gonna set up something which might just help somebody, and that's exactly what we're about. And it's really interesting actually because I do. I'm a huge family man, as you've probably picked up, but I, I very much use my wedding ring if I'm stressed, and I'll look and I'll fiddle, you know, I'll rotate it on my hand as such, and I'll just have it as a presence because. Uh, you know, it sounds very soppy, but that is my motivation in life in that I want to be a very, I want to be the provider. I want to, not that I need to be, because I don't need to, I, we don't need one provider. We're very much an equal family, but I have that desire that can be my stress sometimes. And I very much use that wedding ring as a, as a guide some, sometimes to go, it's going to be all right. Actually, I've got everything at home that makes me happy. And this is a stressful moment right now. And this is just my little reminder. So it was fascinating. You just brought that in. So I was like, that's me. I do that. And uh, I really hope, and I think that a lot of people will do the same. Um, I've uh, Honestly, I've, uh, it's yeah, fantastic. Really, really interesting. Wow. I think we might be ready for our final. And I hope you, because you've you listened to a couple of episodes, you might be well planned, Matt. <laughs> okay, well, bled on me. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess keeping it, maybe it kind of in line with the, some of the top tips that you said there, but um, taking your place off, uh, yourself off to a place that um, kind of is is um, more comforting or familiar. Um, if you had to pick uh, one song, it's got to be, so this is our music question, but one mm. song that takes you out of um, maybe a stressful moment or um, slightly fraught life into uh, back to being Matt, what would it be? Oh my goodness. Um, I love that question. The twist, <laughs> the twist to the music question. Love it. <laughs> okay. Do you know what? The first song that comes to mind, and I'm even surprised that it's the first song that comes to mind in this, is um, is a song called I Shall Be Released. Um, and it's uh, it's been done many times, but I'm thinking of a Jeff Buckley version of it. Um, I, don't mind a, I don't mind a sad song and a soppy song. If anything, I love that. Uh, and I shall be released. Uh, go check it out. Some beautiful lyrics and beautiful melodies. And um, yeah, it makes me want to lie back in the chair and just ah, open up to the world and get through anything. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. And I, I definitely will do that and listen to it. I can't, I can't thank you enough. I think that I really had high hopes for this. And I think that actually 
I know that the listeners will give us loads of feedback and it would be great to almost have you on as a correspondence episode as a part two as a result of these questions if you're up for it so but thank you so much I loved it absolutely fantastic yeah brilliant that's really kind thank you well it's it really is a pleasure to be on it's always nice to talk about things that we find interesting in life and um you're right hopefully if one person hears this that it, you know, hears something that's helpful then that's another tick on the the list of good things in life right fantastic fantastic i was i mean i just i wanted to ask questions and questions and questions we could have filled about well i don't know how many hours i feel like we could have easily filled three and we wouldn't have even known it would be uh longer than an hour but yeah what what a brilliant brilliant man and also you know what what he covered and how he explained it so well and i was going to say it was not basic but made it so much more understandable than I think a lot of things that we read and hear about um, around mental health and hopefully listeners can resonate and take some of those tips away with them. And listeners like, I, you know, we have, we have slightly made that open assumption that Matt is going to want to come back on, but um, please do send us questions from this episode. Cause I think that it is one of those that's going to entice thought and also bring out further questions and as we always say this podcast is for you it's not for us at all and if we can answer some questions that would be really good um as we said it last time but i'm going to say it again i can pretty much guarantee that anybody will find value from this podcast episode and there might be people out there that might find some real value um, in listening to it who maybe just need to have a little bit of guidance on things so more than ever please share this episode um share it on any channels you've got share it to friends that you might think might need to hear something and until next week until next week see you Bye. Bye. be the first to hear about our new episodes and find more information by following exercise right uk on instagram facebook and twitter